Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to another installment of The Gist of Freedom is Still Faith. I'm your host, Bill Yasser Shabazz, and I'm dedicated to preserving the legacies of Malcolm X, Dr. Betty Shabazz, and countless others upon whose shoulders we all stand today. At The Gist of Freedom is Still Faith, we aim to empower our listeners with dignity and self-respect as we've taken an oath to empower at least one child. This show is co-produced by acclaimed educator and author, Ms. Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white. Here, we salute those committed to preserving a rich history through literature, the arts, the skill trades, and the humanities. So come on and gather your family, friends, and students to listen online at blackhistoryblog.com and on iTunes at blackhistoryuniversity.com. We thank you for joining us this evening, and we'd love for you to be a part of our discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. That's 347-324-5552. Hello, I am so happy to be back with you guys. This evening we have another very special guest. He's the Department Chair of English at John Jay College right in New York City. He has outstanding publications which include the novel and the American Left, Critical Essays on Depression Era Fiction, Whispered Consolations, Law and Narrative in African American Life, American Proletarian Culture, the 20s and the 30s, uh, race and the production of modern uh, American nationalism. And a particular note, he's contributed to the PBS film entitled More Than a Month, and it includes a phenomenal app. Uh, it's a free iPhone and iPod app that allows users to discover and contribute to the African-American history that exists all around us. I'd like to welcome... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this gentleman, without further ado, his name is Dr. John Christian Suggs. Good evening, Dr. Suggs. How are you? This, how are you? I'm good. How are you, ladies? Good, good. It's such a pleasure to have you. Great. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, first, tell me about this app, because we were talking about it, and we found it so fascinating, you know, that it was an African, that I guess that it was an African-American history smartphone app? Yes, right. It is very interesting. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit of background, tell you a little bit how it works. Back in 2010, all right, uh, two young filmmakers, Shukri Tillman and Owen Cooper, uh, had the idea to make a film called More Than a Month, which would be an argument that black history needed to be uh, celebrated on more than one month. Um, As it turns out, they got funding from PBS. PBS is funding uh, arm, ITVS. And so uh, they made and edited the film, which showed on PBS during Black History Month in 2012. All right. So along with that funding also came some ancillary funds for a multimedia project. And uh, as Owen and Shukri were um, editing the film uh, down Wall Street, they began thinking about the fact that Lower Manhattan was full of African-American history that was not visible. So they wondered if there was some way they could 
produce a geographic uh, approach to that. So what happened was that they hired an African-American media programming firm called Ember Media, and they wrote this app called More Than a Map, more than a M-A-P apostrophe, I mean a parentheses P. It's an app that's more than a map because it's interactive. And what it does is, is that it identifies sites of African-American history all around you, and it's tied to the GPS function on your smartphone. Wow. So you download the app for free from iTunes or the Google Store, uh, Google Play, and you turn it on and you're walking down the street and bang, there you see Langston Hughes lived in this house and wrote X, Y, and Z. Uh, this was the site of the first African-American free school. Um, this was the site where uh, a man, uh, African-American uh, coachman was hanged uh, during the draft riots of 1863. Here's the place where Angela Davis was arrested um, uh, for uh, helping uh, in the Soledad Brothers' Uh, escape from prison. And so what we've done is we've tied it to the GPS function in the, in, in the phone um, so that wherever you are, African-American history is right there. And it has one other uh, capability that I'll mention right now. It's interactive. So that if you're on the street corner in your neighborhood, let's say, and you say, you know what, I know that here is a place where James Baldwin lived and I don't see it on this app. You can, from the app, submit it to us. It comes to our database. Um, We take it, we fill it out, and within two weeks, that site that you discovered is on the app. I love it. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Now, is this app presently available? Yes, it's presently available. What happened was that um, uh, we launched it in 2012, all right, Um, as a kind of beta version, and we've been building the app ever since. So we're having a big, actually, February relaunch starting, I mean, sorry, 2014 relaunch uh, starting in April because uh, we want everybody to download it as we've added some technological, you know, improvements and, mm-hmm. and uh, features to it. Let me explain uh, a little bit what's in it. It's a nationwide app, so wherever you are, right, if you're in Washington, D.C., if you're in Chicago, if you're in Los Angeles, you turn on, and it shows you the points of African-American history near you, where you are right at that moment. Outstanding. We have 732 geographic points in the app. Uh, 446 of them are up and running, and I have about 286 that are in production. They cover all states and Washington, D.C., there are 130 geographic sites in New York. Uh, Georgia is next with 78. Would you like to guess what state has the fewest sites of African American history in our app, not maybe in the whole <laughs> United right, States right. So that we've been able to identify? Would you like to guess what state that might be? Mm, well, I'm not going to say Seattle. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. mean Washington. I'm not going to say the state of Washington. Why don't you go ahead and tell me? Sure. It's Colorado. Really? Yeah. Actually, it's very interesting. The Rocky Mountain states and the northwestern states um, have the fewest number of identifiable sites of African American history. And this is what maybe we could talk about this a little bit later about you know this the problems of doing public history. Mm-hmm. Like how do you find these things right. that have been parts of our history that have been hidden sometimes on purpose for centuries. 
two seconds. Right, right. That's why, you know, we, you know, we celebrate anyone who wants to share any kind of history. Um, you know, that's not readily available. So right. we, you know, we we just think the world of you, and we're so um, honored and and excited to have you on our show. Now, are there challenges uh, doing public Amer- uh, African American history? People, yeah. places, local, regional, national, international. Well, yes, there are. I mean, some of, some of the problems of this are, as you would imagine, just the sources themselves. Uh, you know, for generations, African Americans didn't have a seat at the table for writing history. Um, I think we had to wait until W. E. B. Du Bois, you know, came on the scene at the end of the 19th century to begin to develop a cadre of trained African-American historians because white historians, by and large, were not interested in telling the story of African-Americans, except in trying to make some apologies for some of the problematics of slavery and of the post-Reconstruction period. Absolutely. And, you know, that's why, again, we think it's our responsibility that we shouldn't expect anyone to tell you know, our history for us, but that we should celebrate people like you who see the importance of history and, and, and want to share it. Yeah. So one of the, thank you. And I think that's, I think that's really important to say. We, what we want to do mm-hmm. is encourage people to be their own historians, to do a kind of social history that works from the bottom up, that shows how the people made history, not the not the putative, you know, leaders who, for the most part, until, you know, the latter part of the 20th century, uh, were not African American. So what we need are access to those sources of local and regional history, particularly, um, so that we can inform people about the things that have gone on in their own neighborhoods, in their own towns, their own counties, in their own states uh, that have been obscured over time. So one of the ways the app works, for instance, is a way of enhancing this project, is that the app actually works, tries to work on these four different levels. We try to include parts, places that are of local interest, historical places that are of regional interest, historical places in your community that are of national interest, and we're trying to move now onto the international scene. You know, in uh, the 1850s, 10 years before the Civil War, um, there was a, uh, a sort of a small exodus of African-American intellectuals and activists out of the United States to uh, Ireland, England, and the continent because of uh, the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. Mm. So Frederick Douglass and William Wells Brown and uh, Frank J. Webb and a number of people actually moved out of the country because they were afraid they would be captured and stolen and taken back into slavery. Yes, and, and, and just for those who, who, who do not understand the Fugitive Slave Law, could you just, can you share it with us, please? Sure, sure. One of, <clears throat> one of the problems with the Constitution uh, was that the Constitution uh, privileged uh, the ownership of slaves as property, and there were a number of agreements written into the Constitution that ensured that property owners would not lose their property if it was stolen from them and taken across state lines. Let's say, uh, I mean, the the smokescreen was, suppose someone stole a wagon load of your corn and took it into Pennsylvania, uh, you had to be able to go and get it back. But what, this law re- what the Constitution was really talking about were were slaves. 
Right. So there was, an, there was in 1783, there was a, a Fugitive Slave Act passed that said that you know, slave owners could go into the North, uh, into non-slave states, and try to recover their slavery, their, sla- their escaped slaves. And if they, if they captured them, they could go to court and do all this process. But in 1850, Congress passed an entirely new law. Uh, Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which was very, very harsh, and said not only that white slave uh, slave owners in the South could come and come north looking for their escaped slaves, but that white people, anybody in the North, had to by law help them find and capture these fugitive peoples, and then they set up courts that were special courts. Um, that were presided over by magistrates to hear only those kind of courses, cases. And the interesting thing was that the magistrate got $5 for hearing every case about a fugitive slave. He got $10 if the slave was returned to slavery. Wow. So people who had fled the South or people who were even free people of color in the North were absolutely terrified that under this new law, they could be snatched off the street and taken into the South, even if they had never been slaves, because all they had, because it was the magistrate's financial interest to find that you had been a slave, because he doubled his salary every time he sent somebody back to the South, mm-hmm. and so that was what was going on. So, so many, many, uh, many, many people who those who could and had the connections left. And the point I'm trying to make is that with that, there's a whole record then of African-American presence in Ireland and in England and in France in the 19th century. Then in the 20th century, of course, in the First World War and in the period between the First World War and the Second World War and after the Second World War, there was an um, African-American diaspora to Europe that has been pretty well documented in Europe, but we know very little about here. Mm -hmm. So what we've done, been trying to do, is contact folks in Europe with this kind of knowledge uh, who will help us represent that on the app. For instance, this summer I talked to three women who run uh, tours for African-American tourists in Paris. And and what they do is that they give tours of black Paris. They show African-American tours where African-Americans have lived in Paris. And not only African-Americans now, but of course post-colonial Africa uh, has moved in considerable numbers into communities in Paris mm-hmm. uh, and Marseille. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, so, I have a question. Now, when you're saying African-American, um, are they coming from the U.S.? Uh, to, go to, to go to Europe? Are they, oh, yes, yeah. They, oh, okay, yeah. So they're, oh, yeah. So, okay, so these are um, African-Americans uh, right. actually leaving the U.S., going yeah. to... Okay. That, yeah. now, and most, so of, now, them were, most out, of them are artists, musicians... Um, writers. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Now, as you set out to revise African American and, and say American history, tell us about the case of African American literature and American legal history. Oh, that's an interesting sort of test case uh, mm-hmm. for the necessity for constantly wanting being on the alert so that you can rewrite your history. Um, one of the problems with writing. Uh, history is what we call benchmarks. In other words, they got the, there are certain points at which everybody says, oh, look, something happened here, something happened here. Here's the Revolutionary War, here's the Civil War, here's the Spanish-American War. So uh, American history, if you look at it as a line drawn across 
you know, the wall in front of you, mm-hmm. has these benchmarks. Well, if you put African-American history on top of that, the benchmarks for African-Americans are somewhat different than those for white Americans. And the same thing, and that's particularly true for legal history and literary history. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do is you want to think about law and literature for a moment as two competing narrative systems. They both do the same thing. They tell stories about people in conflict. <laughs> and by the end of the text, they've resolved it. You know, either the novel comes to an end or the guy goes to jail, right? One or the other one, in one of those two versions. Right, right. What happens when literature and law actually represent exactly the same conflict when they look at questions of murder or um, fraud or property rights or civil rights or constitutionality. So what so what's really interesting is that when you look at African American literature, when it when when it writes about human conflict, it parallels the history of American law. African Americans are the most litigated people in American legal history. Uh, beginning from the 17th century uh, all the way through the 20th century. So you can actually track through African-American history, the course of American legal history. And what you see is when, white, when, when American law, which is mostly written by white males, talks about property, talks about rights, talks about um, uh, ability to travel, uh, the ability to marry, uh, freedom of anything like that, African-American literature is always writing about the same thing. Mm -hmm. So when you see the timeline of African-American literary history, its benchmarks sort of parallel these major points in American legal history, not the major points in American political history, like there are certain aspects. Like 1850 is really important in American literary history, American history, but it's also very important in American literary history. Mm -hmm. 1857 the Dred Scott decision is one of the most important benchmarks in African-American literary history. After 1857, almost every African-American writer writes in response to Justice Taney's decision that blacks in America have no rights that white people need to uh, honor. And this right. goes, this, so there's a tradition of the African-American novel that runs from 1857 all the way to 1952 to Ralph Ellison. Mm-hmm. where every major novel is actually written in response to that one Supreme Court decision. Wow. So, and, and, and so this is mostly invisible to people mm-hmm. who study American legal history by itself or study mm-hmm. American literary history by itself. African-American so, literary history mm-hmm. unveils mm-hmm. this. So now, how do we, uh, you know, how are we going to make this, uh, more accessible or available to, you know, the layman? <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's difficult, mm-hmm. mainly because the, the attempt to write the story of how African Americans have reflected these major themes in American life requires trained people to do it. I mean, on the app that we run now, we can give you these geographic sites of African-American history. We can say, right here, this happened. But we can't tell you the complex narrative of that. So what we have to do is hope for more and more uh, uh, 
academics and, and public intellectuals who are interested in sort of rewriting this benchmark timeline of American history and African American history, which means that it would be really nice to get more African American PhDs in the humanities and history and literary history and art history to tell that story. Right now, Nancy. Now that was my next question: the history <laughs> of African Americans in higher education. How are you going to attract them to focus in this area, and and and, and you know, so they understand the importance, you know, of assuming this responsibility to share and, and preserve and document uh, yeah. all of this information. Well, I'll tell you something. <laughs> I wish I wish there were an easy answer to that. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to get. Uh, anybody interested in majoring or getting uh, advanced degrees in literature or art history because basically it's a labor of love. You've got to want to live your life thinking about those things and you have to want to be able to, you have to want to teach people. And to tell you the truth, young, talented uh, African-American men and women, right, can make a lot more money going into business, scientific research, going into um, the digital world. So the, the the majority of young African Americans going out of baccalaureate programs and into graduate programs are going into science, technology, engineering, uh, and they're not going into the humanities. But that's all, that's that's just a small part of a larger problem. Let me let me point out something to you, okay? Okay. In, in 2012, right? Mm-hmm. There were 32,927. PhDs awarded, right? People mm-hmm. got PhD degrees and went out into the world to do whatever they were going to do. Of those 32,927, 2,792 were African Americans. Okay? So that is 6% mm-hmm. of the total number of PhDs made in that year. Now, African Americans in 2012 represented 13% of the U.S. population. So the number of PhDs being generated was half of the assumed distribution across the population. Mm -hmm. And when you think about the fact that only 2% of all people in the United States have PhDs, so you're looking at African Americans who are six-tenths of 6% 6% of 2%. <laughs> so they so were like the thing point. then that we have to find a way to package this information so that we uh, are enticing more African Americans to get their PhDs and to understand the importance of African American uh, of revising African American and American history not only because it looks good but simply for our future, for the future of this country, for the future of its citizens, for the future, you know, of African Americans, and to honor, you know, our heroes past and present, right? I, yes, that's really true. But you can, I, I, I really think that you and, and your listeners, you know, I think we all need to be very pragmatic about this. You know, this mm-hmm. is a dollars and cents, Absolutely. Dollars and cents issue. Let me, let me just tell you one, let me tell you one other thing. I'll tell you this. Education related debt, all right? People who, who graduate with a Ph.D., now, we, in other words, we want folks to do this, right? We want, we, want, we want black folks to go and get those Ph.D.s, all right? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. 
only 20% right, of the African Americans who get PhDs in 2012 graduated with no debt. African Americans graduated, graduated with 26.5% of the debt over $90,000. African-Americans getting PhDs owed more money in every category other than one, the twenty dollars to $40,000. The mean debt for African-Americans graduating with a PhD was $54,132. The mean debt for white people graduating with PhDs, $25,992. Wow. Okay. Okay. And one of the reasons for that is that is that black folks have the fewest number of research fellowships? They get the fewest number of teaching assistantships and research assistantships, uh, and um, there's and they represent the uh, as a population the greatest number of graduate students who self finance their PhD. So when you wow. see a mm-hmm. black person with a PhD, you can just about guarantee mm-hmm. that this is something they really wanted to do because. They did it at the bottom of the financial ladder. Mm-hmm. Now, those wow. are the structural things that need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. You, you're not going to attract folks to come and do this kind of work if you're not going to pay them any money or if you're going to tell them, okay, you're only going to end up you know, with $54,000 worth of debt <laughs> before you start out. Don't worry about it. I, I don't think that's going to work. Okay. Well, listen, let's go back to uh, – tell us about your film, More Than a Month. We have about – Four minutes left. Sure, You're sure. listening to Dr. John Christian Suggs. He's the department chair of English at John Jay College, and he has a phenomenal app. Um, how do our listeners get this app? Um, and also, tell us briefly about more than a month, um, your, your black history. Uh, sure, sure. Just let me correct one thing. I was okay. the chair of the English department. I, I retired about four years ago. Oh, congratulations. So I, <laughs> no, it's great. That lets mm-hmm. me do this, mm-hmm. do this stuff, which I really do like. Okay, uh, the easiest way to get the app is just to go to the app, go to either to iTunes or the Apple Store, and uh, if you search for MTAM, right, it's a free app. Just download it, and if you go okay, to okay, okay, wait one second. MTAM sounds like the acronym for more, more than, than a, map. a month. Oh, map. more than a more map. Than a map. More okay, than a more map. than a map. That's what the app is called. So if you just go to the Apple Store and use uh, for uh, on your device. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for an app. You just put MTAM. Actually, there are a couple of ones that say MTAM, but you'll be able to tell this one because it's the only one that says African American history. In, uh, in Google Play, you mm-hmm. actually can put in more than a map, and it'll pop right up. Okay. And, now, do you have a website where yes, our I, listeners can contact sure, you? Sure. Just go to www.morethanamap.org. Okay. And uh, and and then and you can and you can even download it from there, or at least you can get links to the stores uh, to download it. Um, let me just say something about the film. I actually I actually had nothing to do with the film because Shukri and Owen Shukri okay. Tillman and Owen Cooper, the producers, and Shukri was the writer director and also was the was the on screen uh, personality for the for the film. Uh, devised this before I came on. When they, they they asked me to join them when when they decided that uh, they were going to go ahead and do the app, they asked me to come on as the manager for the editorial content. Right. So the but the, what the film does, which is very interesting, and you can see it on PBS, 
Right. You can just go on PBS online. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And uh, it's called More Than a Month. And what Shukri does uh, is that he travels around the country wearing a sign, you know, one of these signs front and back. Right. Right. It Mm -hmm. says, and it was something like down with more down with uh, down with uh, uh, African American Black History Month, and he goes and he stops people on the street and asks them if they think we really need African American History Month or Black History Month. And he, what he's trying to do is engage people in the conversation of why do we have why is it a month why is it February why isn't it twelve months? And he goes all around the country talking to people on the street and then he searches out people like historic uh, reenactors he goes down south and talks to guys who reenact civil war battles and say, saying uh you guys don't just do this in one month why do we have to have black history in just one month you know and it's very interesting because he talks to scholars he talks to politicians he talks to ordinary folks on the street he talks to men women students uh, and it's amazing to hear the responses when people stop to think about what it means to, I don't want to say ghettoize, but to crowd all of African-American history into the shortest month in the year. Right, right, so, and why it cannot simply be yeah. included in history, right. period. That's right, and that's what the app was designed to do then, is to make it available to you 24 hours a day. Well, thank um, you. Thank you very much. Um, Dr. Suggs, it's been such a pleasure to have you. We're going to have to have you back on again. Well, I'd, um, love, I'd love to come back if you have some, if you have any historical questions. But I want to tell you that Professor, uh, Dr. Gist, uh, uh, Gist uh, uh, website Dr. itself yes. is a is a um, just a treasure of African American history, and she does such a fine job. Yes, yes, absolutely amazing, Leslie Gist. Um, our co-producer. She's phenomenal. She has the gist of freedom. Uh, This is her program. Um, She is phenomenal. And, you know, we thank you for coming to our family, for listening uh, uh, with us and and discussing your More Than a Map app. And all of our listeners can tune in. They can uh, download the MTAM app. You can also go online and check out the PBS film, More Than a Month. It's unbelievable. I thank you for listening to The Gist of Freedom is Still Faith with my co-producer, educator, and author, Leslie Gist. I'm your sister, again, Ilyasa Shabazz, providing a platform to you, our listeners, honoring and celebrating the African-American experience and its global impact. Continue to gather your family, friends, and students and join us every Sunday, Eastern Standard Time at 8 p.m. Until the next time, good night and God bless you.